This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Todd Van Hoos, President and CEO of the Farm Credit Council. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer Crop Science. Bayer is helping farmers produce sustainably to protect the environment and feed a growing world. Health for all, hunger for none. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Todd Van Hoos. Next. As a leader in the industry, we at Bayer have the opportunity and responsibility to help address the challenges around sustainability and ensure that we can all thrive while using our planet's resources in a sustainable way. Sustainability is an integral part of our operations, and we believe that farmers and agriculture can be a part of the solution to many of the planet's biggest challenges. Whether that's helping growers utilize new technologies to get more out of their land, or incentivizing carbon-smart practices such as strip-till or no-till and planting cover crops, we're committed to innovate, grow, and partner with farmers to help shape what's possible and further our vision of health for all, hunger for none. For more on Bayer's sustainability efforts, visit cropscience.bayer.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Led by weather challenges in the Southern Hemisphere and tremendous domestic and global demand for row crops, commodity prices are higher, and the U.S. agriculture industry is seeing a cyclical swing to better income. Todd Van Hoos, President and CEO of the Farm Credit Council, says challenges remain, but the outlook is encouraging. You know, we've, we've seen a real turnaround out there in a number of industries within agriculture. I mean, you know, clearly the, the exception to that is dairy where the, the price of inputs is rising rapidly and that, that is really putting a squeeze on a lot of dairy producers. But, but the rest of the industry seems to be doing better. And so we look for a strong income year in 2021. Uh, USDA is certainly forecasting that as well. But I'd you know, caution everybody that, that still a, a decent portion of that income projection is coming from government payments. And we just, you know, that's hard to know that you're going to be able to count on that for the, you know, for the long haul. But certainly it has helped turn things around. Row crop prices do look much better, uh, almost at historical marks. What about the livestock industry? You mentioned dairy, but that means their feed costs are up. At the same time, it looks like domestic and global demand for meat, though, is still very strong. It is, and and a lot of the supply chain interruptions that we saw due to COVID have sort of straightened themselves out, and and so we're seeing more steady demand. Uh, but but I you know certainly acknowledge that that high prices for grain hit livestock producers and especially dairy producers, whose whose margin on the other side is pretty tight. So I, I think that's something to keep in mind. But but by and large, the income situation looks pretty good right now. Has the income turnaround saved some farms? Oh, no doubt. No doubt. You know, as, as especially as we talk to customers out there, and, and everybody knows the average age of, of farmers out there today is getting higher. As, as farmers look at this situation and say, am I going to continue? Um I think the turnaround has probably got a few more years and a few more people, and that's a good thing. And and it also creates some opportunity at the at the younger end, right? I mean, 
Imagine having tried to enter agriculture in 2016 or 2017 or even last year. Uh, It's been tough. And so hopefully these prices are going to help people get in and help those who want to stay in stay in a few more years. Agriculture is a cyclical business, and we know better than to assume it's going to stay at this mark for a long period of time. So as a lender, how do you approach and take advantage of times like these for those lean times that you know are coming? Well, you're exactly right. I mean, I've been around farm credit since the 1980s, and and I've seen a lot of cycles, right? And and we've seen some fantastic times and some really tough times. And and the, the management, you know, as I talk to people in farm credit, what differentiates today's farmer versus farmers, let's say, 35 years ago, uh, is the management skill. The exceptional management skill it takes to, to run a farm uh, sustainably, profitably, year in, year out, no matter what the market does, is really extraordinary. And, and I think you can't give enough credit to the, the ingenuity and the, and the exceptional management capability of today's farmers. I, I really think that has a lot to do with how in the world do you sustain this stuff through these cycles. What about land values through this period of time? You'd have to believe that there is at least a, a stronger foundation, if not uh, an increase. Well, you know, land values uh, are a double-edged sword. I mean, you got to acknowledge that up front. If you own land right now, you are smiling because that the value of that land has gone up. And the longer the period of time you look at, the better the picture is. On the other hand, you know, if you're a young farmer today and you're trying to buy land, man, that is a big barrier to entry. And so, yeah, absolutely, uh, the the price of land has has been strong. It has been the bedrock of people's balance sheets and allowed them to weather storms. Uh, on the other hand, it is really a barrier to entry these days for young people wanting to get in. The Association of Equipment Manufacturers obviously more optimistic about machinery sales. Uh, what opportunities are here, and are you hearing word of uh, farmers who are willing to purchase, but machines just haven't come out of the assembly line yet? Well, we are we are hearing that, that man, it's hard to find a tractor. Uh, or any piece of equipment, right? We've got uh, supply chains that really got stretched thin out there, and and those seem to be coming back together. But but inevitably, the production capacity has gone down, and, and our expectation is it's going to take a while for that to ramp back up. So, you know, it's not unlike uh, those of us in Washington who may have been shopping for a car in the last six months. Uh, you you better prepare to pay for it. You might have to wait for it. So I think that's what's going on out there right now. So. You're not operating in a vacuum from either the global economy or certainly the U.S. economy, and the drum is beating on fears of inflation and plenty of question over the Fed's monetary policy. This part of the discussion is a bit more sobering, but what do you see and what are the effects of the overall economy on that of the ag economy? You know, it's, it's, it is the, the bazillion dollar question, right? What's, what's too much? Uh, when will we start to rekindle inflation in a non-productive way, right? A little bit inflation good, a lot of inflation bad. I don't know the answer to that. I don't think anybody can really, really predict that. I, I do know though that interest rates remain historically low, right? We've, we've seen them rise just a tad from their, from their, from their true lows. But, but, boy, they remain really low. 
and and while we are seeing some pressure on prices in different uh, inputs uh, throughout throughout the ag supply chain, um, they they're not that terrible. And so I I hard pressed to to sound the alarm over inflation at the moment, but it's certainly something that we're keeping an eye on. So let's talk about Washington and from the positive side. Agriculture and even a coalition that the Farm Credit Council is a part of, the Rebuild Rural America, um, you've wanted some investment in infrastructure for some time. So just looking at the wants and the promises, what's in the president's plan that meets needs of rural America and agriculture? You know, I, I thank you for, for mentioning Rebuild Rural. That That is something that has really come together nicely and, and sort of a unified way for those of us who live and work and, and advocate on behalf of rural American agriculture to come to the table and say, look, you need to hear our voice. The needs in rural America are different in infrastructure than in urban America or even suburban America. And And we need Congress and the administration to say, we understand that, and we are going to take specific action to, to take on some of the rural infrastructure needs uh, that we have. Now, I'll give the administration some credit. Uh, they've been very helpful. They've reached out. They've talked to us a lot about the needs in rural America. I, you know, Tom Vilsack certainly has been a, a lifelong advocate for, for, for those infrastructure needs in rural America. So we feel like that message is getting heard. So whether it's roads, bridges, uh, all, all the things that we would typically talk about with infrastructure, uh, we, we think that is very, very positive. Uh, there's been a lot of focus on, on, on ports and on our inland waterway infrastructure, very positive. And then you just can't say enough about the focus on rural broadband because what we found is um, you're either in or out. If you've got broadband, um, you're, you're in, and if you don't, you're out. And that's an economic necessity these days, and the pandemic has shown that really in spades. And so uh, I think the administration has a lot of good ideas. I think many in Congress have a lot of good ideas. What I'm worried about is can we get any of those ideas across the finish line? Before we dive into that, let's ask this. What happens if they don't? What if this is just one more time as a bridesmaid and you don't get to cross the threshold to get a number of these things done? Well, we're, 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 we're warning about that right now, right? I mean, it, it is getting harder to produce things in rural America and get them to where they're supposed to be, right? For, for generations, the advantage that U.S. agriculture has had is that we're better at growing it out there and getting to where it's consumed than anybody else in the world. And, and so that ability to, 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 to strengthen those supply chains, to shorten those times to market, to efficiently transport goods from where they're grown to where they're consumed has really been the bedrock of, of agriculture. And, and that fundamental advantage is eroding because our infrastructure is eroding. I mean, how many bridges do you have to see crumble? How many ports do you have to see not have deep enough uh, harbors anymore? It goes on and on. And so... It's way past time to act, and we've got to have some action here, or farmers and rural communities are going to pay the price. Well, there's nothing like shopping, and then there's the paying for, and that has raised a number of (laughs) concerns in the industry about how do you pay for all of these items. There is talk of changing taxes, 
and certainly some of the taxes that would affect agriculture, the inheritance tax, stepped-up basis. Is this a threat to agriculture? I sure think it's troubling. I, you know, when you when you talk about uh, I- increasing the corporate rate, when you talk about the the automatic capital gains, when you talk about the step up basis, uh, all of that hits agriculture, and and that has to be a bit of a worry. And 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 I understand, right? I mean, this the infrastructure is expensive. Uh, nobody wants to pay for it, right? We, we we've all got uh, problems paying for these things. But but you got to look really carefully because I've never seen an issue like step up basis that would that would hit a tax issue that would hit agriculture this hard. I mean, I understand that the administration has talked about the the family farm exemption and 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 uh, you know talking about ninety eight percent of of farms won't won't be harmed by this. Um, and, and those are great. I, I really appreciate their focus on that. You know, Secretary Vilsack, like I said, is, is we don't have a better advocate than Secretary Vilsack. And, and so I feel pretty good about that. But the devil's going to be in the detail. And so we, we've got to see how all this puts together. I, I really am worried because, right, we've, we've had a turnaround in agriculture. We've had a lot of people healing after some pretty tough years. We just can't afford to to really take some tax hits right now because that would put us right back where we were. It seems like several years ago we had something that, if I recall, the 66 rule, where there was so much agriculture land, almost two-thirds of the land and operations was in those of an aging group. So while this is a target to increase revenue, this is targeted at the heart of agriculture where there is an aging farm population. And in the next few years, it's going to change hands. You're exactly right. I mean, there is a, I would call it, you know, we keep hearing about pent-up demand because of COVID, right? Whether it's travel or airplanes or whatever. There is, I think, pent-up demand for farm sales. Because you are seeing this aging population. They do control the massive amount of land in agricultural production right now. And, and over the next, let's call it 20 years, a ton of that land is going to change hands and, and is going to be vulnerable at that point. And I, I guess the point we're making is, is related to climate change. And that is, you know, the U.S. produces more efficiently with less impact on the climate than any place else. And, and if, if we're not careful, we're going to create conditions in the economy which, which take away productive capacity in the U.S. and shift it to places that are more fragile. And, and nobody wants to burn more rainforests to create more farms because somebody in the U.S. makes it less, less possible to farm in, in the U.S. And so I think we've got to keep an eye on all of this. It's, it's very concerning. Farm Credit Council is also a member of the Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance. So as a lender, how do you respond for calls for agriculture to be able to participate in reducing greenhouse gas emissions and to be a part of sequestering carbon, one of the few industries that can actually do that? Well, you know, I think I think you got your finger right on it, and that is, there, there's there's a lot of concern about a lot of the discussions out there, but there's also a lot of view of, hey, this might be an opportunity. And I think that's where this FACA alliance, this food and, and agricultural alliance on climate uh, comes into play because we think that agriculture's got a good opportunity in this. And, but, but some principles are important. 
you know, voluntary participation, do no harm, uh, create an economic opportunity for agriculture. All of those are bedrock principles, but but I think that there is an opportunity. And, and look, nobody can deny that the climate is changing. Storms are getting harder, uh, stronger. Uh, they're costing more. Um, the, the, the line where you can grow corn now is ever increasing up north. Uh, my friend in, in central Maine said he views all this as an opportunity for them, right? So all of that is undeniably changing. Um, and agriculture is going to have to cope with that. From a lender's perspective, we want to make sure that we can bring the products and services to the table that allow farmers to take on those climate smart practices that they want to take on. And so whether that's cover crops or whether that's uh, methane digesters or whether it's shifts other kinds of shifts in production, uh, farmers need the time and space to be able to do that and hopefully some incentives to help sequester carbon. What if individuals in Washington want to turn this from voluntary programs to mandated programs? Well, we'll be opposing. I mean, have no doubt. Um, you know, this this is there is no one size fits all solution. If if we've learned anything, it's that you know cover crops are great where you can grow one, but what about the Southwest where you've got to bring in water? Or, or what about the challenges of, of runoff in areas? And the, I mean, everything is different. And so I just don't see how you can mandate a one-size-fits-all approach or mandate that a farmer out there participate in this stuff. I, I think the, the right approach is to incentivize people to do things that are going to help, uh, help help climate change, right, help with climate, the impacts of climate change. And, and it's not just an agriculture thing. And very importantly, it's not just a U.S. thing. Um, you know, the, the U.S. is not the biggest contributor of greenhouse gases. We've got to have an international solution to this. And, and mandating that farmers take on certain practices that where the science is evolving and everything is a little bit uncertain, I, I think that's dangerous territory. I concentrate now on the Senate Agriculture Committee and two leaders. Uh, Ms. Stabenow, the chairwoman of the committee, uh, suggests he wants to find additional money for conservation programs uh, to be able to adopt and to develop. Uh, Mr. Bozeman, very concerned that the climate element might cut into some existing farm programs. I can see debate in Washington where some would say we don't have more money, therefore we sacrifice risk management tools to bring in climate smart policy. Can we afford to do that? I hope we don't have to make those trade-offs. I mean, I, I, I certainly see Chairwoman Stadenow's point in terms of there is a growing need for technical help with conservation, for incentive-based conservation. The EQIP program has been a, a, a wild success out there. And so those kinds of approaches have been very productive. At the same time, I, I, I wouldn't call our safety net, our current safety net in agriculture too big. And so I, I sure would hate to see that go away. I think there's room for both. Because I think the benefits of agriculture adopting more climate smart practices in a, in a voluntary incentive based way will bring benefits far beyond agriculture. And so as, as we look at that, I, I think that's smart investing. And, and I, you know, I don't think it costs that much either. So how much government should be involved? Uh, in programs that might reward farmers for carbon sequestration? or other practices? 
Well, I think the government does need to be involved in this, right? I mean, there's not really another way uh, to, to provide those kind of incentives for farmers to, to adapt some of these pro- uh, processes because, look, these, a lot of this stuff is expensive, and, and margins in agriculture are narrow, so they're going to need support. Now, that doesn't say that a, a private approach to uh, carbon credits, for instance, isn't smart as well. Those exist today. Um, there's still a lot of uh, sort of in, in their infancy, I guess. Uh, but we look for that market to grow as well because when you hear, you know, companies like Nestle talk about a carbon-free cup of coffee or Amazon, zero carbon footprint, in, any of these companies, I think they can't get there in the timelines they've, they've set out without offsetting, you know, purchasing offsetting credits. And I think agriculture can provide some of them. What have you heard from the Biden trade agenda, and what do you hope for from the Biden trade agenda and Ms. Tai? You know, I've, I was on the phone with, with Ambassador Tai with a group of, of ag CEOs, ag uh, uh, industry CEOs, oh, maybe a month ago. And I'm very impressed with her. Um, and, and I'm I'm happy to hear her talk about agriculture uh, because it's it's very clear to me that that she understands the importance of trade in agriculture and that senator uh, well then senator and and now president biden was a supporter and so i feel like we're in good shape on this i i know that they're trying to rekindle relationships across the board with many of our trading partners i look for a more uh, collaborative approach uh, than the previous administration, and and I feel pretty good about where their heads are with regard to ag trade. Now, you know, making progress depends on our allies as well, right? Our trading partners, but but I think their their prioritization of ag in this process is is very good. Is it a good idea to try to get into the CPTPP? Oh man, wouldn't wouldn't you? I think it's got nothing but upside. Uh, you know, I, I really do think that the, when you start to talk about trading blocks that are aligning themselves in the globe today, right, um, and, and you want to set yourself as a potential counterweight to China, you're going to need your friends with you. And and the, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, I, I think, is, is an important step. The Trump administration really tried to approach this one-on-one with different countries, and they made good progress. I give Greg Dowd and and former Ambassador Greg Dowd a a great deal of credit for the effort that he put in on this. But but a more collegial, more collaborative approach seems to hold some promise now, and and that seems to be where Ambassador Tai and the the Biden administration are coming from. I'm, I'm very pleased with the priority that they've assigned to agriculture trade as they enter this new administration. Well, Todd Van Hoos, we want to thank you very much in this spring season for uh, taking the opportunity to spend with us on this edition of Open Mic. You've been here before, and you know the last word is yours. Well, thanks very much. I appreciate you spending some time talking about the agriculture economy and farm credit today. I, I think farm credit's mission remains as vital today as it ever has been. Uh, supporting rural communities in agriculture is something we're very proud to do. Uh, finding ways to help new people get involved in agriculture is something we're anxious to keep doing. And so we, we look forward to, to continuing to work in this community and making progress. Our thanks to Todd Van Hoos, President and CEO of the Farm Credit Council. 
our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer Crop Science. Bayer is helping farmers produce sustainably to protect the environment and feed a growing world. Learn more at cropscience.bayer.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nelly.